Hello and welcome again to the famous CFC podcast where each episode offers a deep dive into the wonderful history of Chelsea Football Club. My name's Gary Barone and I'm joined as ever by club historian Rick Glanville. Hi Rick. Hello mate. And in light of sudden developments regarding the area surrounding Stamford Bridge, we thought in this episode we'd take a historical look at something very current. Yeah, because the Guardian's Jacob Steinberg has broken the story that the Board of Trustees for Stoll, the provider of 157 supported homes for service veterans, has agreed in principle to sell the majority of its Sir Oswald Stoll Mansion site in Fulham to the Chelsea FC ownership group. This has since been officially confirmed by Stoll, who say the deal has been agreed in principle, but is subject to further resident consultation, which will end around 20 September. Now, to me, Rick, this does sound significant, but can you explain to us why? <laughs> well, Gary, it is actually very significant, um, and it potentially breaks down a wall physically and metaphorically that has hemmed the Stamford Bridge Stadium in since 1910, meaning we should be able to plan for a larger stadium capacity at the bridge which is something that's been holding us back, and have the legal authority to fill that stadium, granted uh, by local council and other safeguarding organisations. Now, the point about this is that uh, Oswald Stoll mentions a, a, a grand a building a, right adjacent to Stamford Bridge. And so um, it's a stone-cold fact that with the current Stamford Bridge footprint, we are restricted on how many people we're allowed to watch games, principally because we only have two egresses or exits. That's the Stamford Gate and the Britannia Gate, and they both spill people, turf people out onto the same thoroughfare, Fulham Road. Britannia Gate is at the western side, so people go down to Fulham Broadway and and Stamford Gate is at, is the sort of the main gate where people go towards Earl's Court or whatever. But fundamentally, you're throwing tens of thousands of people onto one road, and authorities don't like that in terms of safety. And the reason why uh, the we turf all these fans out onto this one road, Fulham Road, is because if you've never been to the stadium before, it's the site is very closed in. On the eastern border, there's a railway line and then a cemetery after that. To the north, the district line trains rumble past regularly, so there's a train track there, um, right abutted up against the, uh, uh, the stadium boundary. And to the west... There's this walled community of Oswald Stoll dwellings for uh, combat veterans. So basically, all the routes are blocked on three sides of the stadium site, yeah. and the authorities then put restrictions in and out of the southern exits. Precisely, because we spill these, we spill the spectators out onto one road, and they just don't like that. Um, and in fact throughout the club's history, right from 1905, our foundation, and again in the 1930s and the 1990s, and even in the design Roman Abramovich obtained planning permission for in 2017, there have been proposals to remedy that situation to open up a second side. So generally, this is the west side, sometimes it's the north, and uh, there have been even ideas about opening up putting people, spectators, away from the ground into Brompton Cemetery, so over the railway line. But 
unfortunately, that alternative exit, that walkway has never happened. So the authorities still limit our capacity at the ground. That's really frustrating. But why weren't any of them built? Well, various reasons, frankly, uh, nearly always cost, as you'd probably expect, um, making it pay and working out how much these things would cost. For example, in the mid-1930s, the London Passenger Transport Board, which is the equivalent of what we have in London today, TFL, Transport for London, uh, they're, you know, an overarching body that looks after all the transport uh, public transport in London, uh, actually offered to part fund a walkway uh, at the northwest corner of the, of the Stamford Bridge site well, towards what was then Wallam Green Station and is now Fulham Broadway. So this would have taken people, you know, fundamentally from the, the the old west stand and the north end and taken them directly uh along the side of the track to Fulham Broadway tube station um but Chelsea made huge money from greyhound racing at the bridge uh, which used to happen uh, twice weekly at Stamford Bridge and they really I mean it was like the <laughs> the Greyhound Racing Association there it was like the the tail wagging the dog, frankly. <laughs> and when they had this meeting with the LPTB and they that body put put their proposal to to Chelsea, Claude Kirby, our chairman, virtually said nothing. And the um, all the barking came from the Greyhound people, and they didn't see the value in it. They said, "Oh, we don't really get the crowds that would warrant a walkway." So even with that gift of part funding by the passenger body, the public transport body of the day, the offer was rejected. Absolutely stupid. Um, and in the 1990s, so when the current stadium, as we know it, was being conceived and plan going through planning and parts of it were built, the there was a proposed walkway uh, that was a little bit more complicated and expensive. And unfortunately, that fell victim to um, concessions that were beaten out of the club by local residents and opponents of the Chelsea Village scheme during the planning inquiry. So we lost out there as well. We'll be back with more Chelsea history after this short break. So now we can make a truly historic breakthrough. So how exactly would the acquisition of the Stoll site benefit the club's plans? Well, firstly, can I sort of describe the Stoll site? Because the part that most people see, the building, the imposing, beautiful building that most people see when they're walking to Stamford Bridge on the Fulham Road, it's next to the Britannia Gate. And uh, that block that sits on Fulham Road is the only part of the original building from 1923 uh, of um, Stoll Mansions. It's, uh, it's a piece of architecture it's got iron gates gate piers and wing walls and it's grade two listed by english heritage so it can't be demolished and you have to get uh enormous uh, it's an enormous struggle to to even amend uh, designs like that so it really is part of of london's heritage and um so that won't be touched um and the rest of the blocks that are to the north of that one um as things stand they form a kind of walled wedge alongside the West Stand. Uh, and they are 
from the 1980s and I think even later than that, some of them. And they're basically just copies of the original block. So they don't have the same architectural merits or uh, gravitas as far as heritage is, is concerned. So is the protected block part of the cell then? I, I really doubt it. I don't see why Chelsea would want it. And I would also imagine Stoll would want their uh, a presence still at uh, the the place where they were founded. And don't forget that block. It's very iconic. As I say, beautiful architecture, and it still bears their name. So I would imagine they might, uh, they might not put that into the sale. Sure, that makes sense. But if we were to buy the remainder of the site then, what exactly will we be gaining? Well, we'd be gaining all of the, the land, the freehold of the land, north of that block and the block is quite shallow so it's a i reckon you're gaining maybe two and a half three acres and given that stanford bridge is around about 13 acres that's quite a significant jump just in terms of space uh, expansion space but um more importantly really is that that land parcels of uh, of that land that is currently owned by Stoll. Uh, I think there's a there's like a social welfare building, I think, on Wandsdown Place. Now, if that rings a bell, that's because that's the road that you walk down when you come out of Stamford Bridge, uh, sorry, the uh, Fulham Broadway Tube Station on a match day. It's then where the match day exits and entrance are. So that opens up uh, from the west side of Stamford Bridge. It completely would open up. Uh, that entrance, that route directly to the match day exits and entrances of Fulham Broadway tube station. So problem solved. And presumably that would give us uh, a high capacity potential. Yeah, absolutely right. Because what restricts us is the fact that we don't have enough egresses. So I don't know what the footfall would be on something like that, channeling people down onto the platforms. I don't suppose it would be a massive amount but i think it'll be considerable enough for us to benefit from it and comfortably reach the capacities that maybe we were talking about with the roman abramovich building and maybe even slightly more than that so that's quite exciting it's a genuine milestone in the stadium's history i think weirdly though <laughs> it would just be the chelsea owners buying back what used to be part of stanford bridge anyway Hang on a minute. So are you saying that we used to actually own the land anyway? Yes, I know. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if we want to hear what happens next. Well, um, when I was perusing the Mears Company archives, that's the the company that was run by the founder of Chelsea, Gus Mears, and his brother and fellow board member, Joseph Theophilus Mears, I came across letters showing that Gus borrowed the money to buy Stamford Bridge uh, from the family trust fund, the Mears family trust fund. And he was in trouble for not paying it back. Um, they were saying, look, you're getting money coming in, but you're not repaying any of that loan. So that's a bit bad. You know, we did that in good faith. And now you're not uh, holding up your side of the bargain. Worse, around about 1909, he was actually thinking of selling on the stadium, uh, the club, 
whatever. And his fellow trustees were up in arms. They weren't certain that they were going to get value or, or whether any of that money would come back to them. And of course, you're selling a great asset. So they were really concerned about the way he was going. So just four years after launching the club and the stadium, the owner wants shot of Chelsea. That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? And that's what the the people running the trust were saying to him. It seems Gus was living way beyond his means, like flashy motor cars, bad company, gambling, drinking, and the rest he wasted. Um, <laughs> uh, and he was in dire financial straits. So push came to shove. But as it turns out, he didn't sell Chelsea or the bridge. He sold tracts of land that were part of the plot around his house, which was at 444 Fulham Road. And if you look on maps or photos from 1910, so around about when this was all taking place, you'll see how comparatively narrow compared to today the Britannia Gate entrance is. It's tiny. And that changed because he demolished his house. And so there was a broader thoroughfare created there. I mean, had he not done that, we would have been even in even worse an even worse uh, situation. Do you remember the the old entrance to the to the West Stand and the North Stand? Those rickety old turnstiles. I do indeed. Well, that that was put there after this this deal had been done. So he sold his house, demolished his house in order to help the club. I mean, that sounds a great gesture, but let's face it, Rick. Who among us wouldn't have done that for their club? <laughs> to get more fans into the ground, fantastic. And uh, the remaining land he owned that wasn't useful to the stadium, really, he sold to the theatrical entrepreneur called Oswald Stoll. Right. So is this the same Stoll from the Stoll Moss Variety Theatres, which were all over the place 100 years ago? Absolutely the very same. And on my guided walk of Fulham Road that I do occasionally, I talk a little about Stoll and what sort of personality he was and how wealthy and significant he was in in the arts world um he was immensely wealthy grumpy teetotal and only swore three times in his life i love that detail and he had no sense of humor which is of course perfect for someone hiring comedians <laughs> well you're not doing a great job here selling him as a splendid night out down the pub well <laughs> no, a cheap one maybe uh, yeah. at least anyway stole Oswald Stoll, Sir Oswald Stoll, to give him his full title, paid Gus Mears £8,500 for three tracts of land, and that was on 12th of September 1910. And afterwards, Stoll repeatedly applied for planning permission to build a new theatre, uh, a musical there. And on each occasion, the council knocked him back, and I imagine those were the rare moments where he actually swore those three occasions. Um, so... Defeated, um, after World War I broke out, he gave up and decided on a more worthy cause, which was the setting up housing for combat veterans. Well, well. So the links between Oswald Stoll and Chelsea go actually beyond mere geographical reasons. Yeah, of course. You know, this is there's a contractual connection <laughs> between the two, dating back to this uh, conveyance of of land back in 1910. And um, the so those veterans, those combat veterans, have been our neighbours for almost 100 years. In fact, the original development there was completed a century ago this year. 
1923, though it had started in 1916. Um, and I have a copy of old conveyance documents that I maybe will put up uh, for people to view uh, somehow our social media or whatever, we'll make them available. Uh, but these documents uh, from December 1910, so just after the deal had been done, relating to this land include a, a memorandum easy for me to say, a memorandum added in uh, July 1918, so towards the close of the First World War, uh, and explains that the landowner, Oswald Stoll, has gifted the freehold, so he's passed on the freehold he paid eight and a half grand for, to this new body called War Seal Foundation, and you can see that inscribed on the buildings of the Oswald Stoll mansions to this day. And if you've... Uh, you, you will have seen that if you've ever looked up and out of interest, check some of what the inscriptions say. You know, he's got battle uh, stages of, of battle and and people who were donors and things like that. But also it says war seal carved uh, onto one side of the building. War seal. You better tell us what that is because I haven't got a clue, Rick. Well, it's not one of Putin's secret marine life weapons. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's a different kind of seal altogether. In the 20th century and long before that, it was common to seal legal documents shut with like a, a drizzle of melted red wax. And then while it was still hot, you'd impress a piece of metal into it, which is called a seal, okay? It was, it was a small piece of metal, usually round, with, a, with, a, um, with its head, so the bit that pressed down into the wax, embossed with features such as coat of arms and like a, uh, animal motif, initials or words or something. And the idea of this is that it would be a unique identifier of the person who had sealed the deal. So that's where the seal comes from. It was a wax seal. English kings and queens each had a different royal seal, for example. And so Oswald Stoll's idea was to press up a large quantity of like gene generic metal seals to sell to the public and to raise funds to help care for service veterans. So there was sort of war-themed. And from 1915, he actually had these war seals for sale at his theatres up and down the, the land, and he sold thousands of them, helping to launch this project, which was, of course, bang next door to Stamford Bridge. So we've actually been neighbours for over 100 years now. So in that time, has anything at all resembling the current deal ever been discussed? A few times, I think. I'm sure there have been some in secret as well, because obviously it's a sensitive issue. Um, you know, if you're selling off housing for ex-servicemen, you know, it's a hot topic always. So, as I say, a few times, and I know around 1984, um, the original blocks of housing at the north end of the Stoll site, uh, so they were erected in 1917, I think, and they'd become quite decrepit and when they were you know crumbling and when they were properly examined it was deemed that they were irreparable that there wasn't anything that could do they had to be knocked down and replaced and when I spoke to a former Stoll CEO many years ago he was a Chelsea fan actually a Chelsea season ticket holder he told me one solution the then trustees had considered was not to rebuild, but to sell the land back to Chelsea. So this was the mid-80s. So they offered it to the club, but Ken Bates turned the offer down. We'll be back with more Chelsea history after this short break. 
So in the mid-1980s, Stoll offered Chelsea land next to Stamford Bridge, but we didn't take them up on it. You could say that was fairly short-sighted of dear old Mr. Ken Bates, was it? <laughs> well, <laughs> you, you could, especially as he knew a walkway to the tube station was the golden ticket to increasing capacity at the bridge, and that's what he wanted to do. However, in mitigation, he'd only been chair of the club for a couple of years, and at that time uh, that Stoll made their approach, he'd just learned that the former board of Chelsea Football Club had sold all their shares in the freehold of Stamford Bridge itself, so the stadium, to predatory developers. So that freehold dispute lasted for almost... 10 years, by the way. So even if he wanted to acquire the stole land, with that knowledge that he just entered into the, what could be a, a long drawn out problem with these developers, he couldn't be certain Chelsea would even be there to benefit from acquiring that land. So really, but for some bad timing, we could have actually owned the same tract of land that's now in the news a whole 40 years later. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? And just think, how differently the whole 90s scheme, the sort of the Chelsea Village stands, how differently they could have been with that expansion. We, if we'd been allowed a, a bigger capacity with a walkway to Fulham Broadway tube station and the accommodation for maybe tens of thousands more supporters at every game. So how long do you think it is, Rick, that the club have been eyeing up this stall end? Well, I think they've met occasionally over the decades. Um, and I know that uh, relations haven't always, you know, there have been ups and downs in the relationship and uh, they haven't always been genial. And I think, to be honest, one of the things that's been helpful for the club uh, as far as our neighbour Oswald Stoll is concerned, we have to acknowledge the role of the Chelsea Supporters Trust because they've really helped foster excellent relations with Stoll because since 2019 no stage the um, sponsored sleepouts Chelsea sleepout yeah and that's brilliant so if you don't know this is where supporters raise money by spending the night in sleeping bag at the bridge highlighting the wider plight of unhoused people sleeping rough which is an absolutely fantastic cause have you done it I can't remember whether you've you've whether you've been on it, Gary. I, I, I did another charity one at the Oval, which is another major sporting institution in London. Ah, OK. And importantly, those funds raised are donated to Stoll. So it's, uh, they're always really grateful, Stoll, and it, it's really sort of good, soft PR for the club and very helpful with the relationship with uh, Stoll Mansions. Well, that's fantastic then. So well done to the Chelsea Supporters Trust. And what a fascinating relationship with Oswald Stoll we've had for 113 years. I know. You know, this is this is why we do this podcast, Gary, because we can lift the lid on some of these unknown relationships we have with our with our neighbours and how history repeats itself. And um, you know, as I said, we'll make we'll try and put some of the original conveyance up there from 19. 10, some of the original documents so that people can have a good look at what the those tracts of land look like and uh, where Gus Muir's house was at number 444 and a little bit of lovely Chelsea history. Absolutely. And you have been listening to the famous CFC with me, Gary Brown, and him, Rick Lambville. Now, if you like the show, please subscribe and spread the word. We'll be back soon with a whole load more tales from Chelsea history. Come on, you mighty blues. Come